sisters, you're joining us for day number 417 of our daily walk with Jesus through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Michael Talercio. I'm the pastoral intern of Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, the church that produces these daily devotionals. And if you're joining us for the first time, then you're joining us for an interesting text because we're looking at Mark chapter 13 today. And Mark chapter 13 deals with the last things, at least in part. It deals with what we call eschatology, things that are going to happen at the end of time. It doesn't only deal with that, though. It deals with some things that have already happened. And so as we try to parse out some of the differences, I want to do two things. One, I want to pray and ask for God's help. But two, I also want to refer you back to Pastor Jason's devotional on Matthew chapter 24, which he recorded and posted about 10 months or so ago. Matthew 24 deals largely with the same content that Mark chapter 13 deals with. Luke 21 also refers to very similar things. Uh, it's kind of, these are all parallel passages. So you can look back to Matthew chapter 24 and get a really solid and helpful teaching from Pastor Jason on much of what we're going to cover today, at least in our reading. I'm not going to cover it in the devotional time. I'm going to highlight a few things, but I want to refer you back to that if you want a more comprehensive understanding of what's going on in today's passage. So refer back to that. Matthew chapter 24, Pastor Jason's devotional on that. But we're going to need the Lord's help as we look at today's passage and we see a couple of gems from it, Lord willing. Let's ask for his help. Father, uh, another day you have made and allowed your people to be alive uh, through and for. Uh, and Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful that just that reality, uh, these 2,000 years or so after Jesus came and died and rose and gave us these words, Lord, in, in, Ma in Mark chapter 13 and Matthew 24 and Luke 21, all these, these years later, we are still alive. You're still providing for us. You're still allowing us as people in this day and age to hear the gospel that we need to be saved, to, to be made alive, to, to be Jesus's citizens of his kingdom. We, we need this sort of grace, Lord, even to be alive today. We thank you, Lord, that we're not here on earth all these years later for, for no reason, Lord, but it's because you have a people that you are bringing to yourself under Jesus as King. We pray that as we look at these words from Mark 13, you would give us grace. Give us the grace uh, to just glean what you want us to glean from it in this short time, Lord, and that we would be people who study the word and, and want to uh, be the kind of citizens of Jesus' kingdom uh, that would please him as the King and as the Lord. We pray this for your Son's glory and honor, Lord, and for our edification for our upbuilding as his people. In his name, amen. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. And as he, that is Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place but the end is not yet. 
For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Well, what I want to do in today's short time is just draw your attention to what Mark said back in the beginning of his gospel and to highlight a couple of things from today's text that I think line up with what he said there. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, 
Mark tells us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that word Christ there means that Jesus is the King. And as we've walked through Mark's gospel, we've been seeing seeing aspects of Jesus's kingship in contrast to how people might normally think a king would be, who he would be, what he would be like, what he would do, what his kingdom would entail. And the same goes for today's passage. Because Jesus is not the kind of king that people would imagine him to be. He's still teaching his people that, his disciples even. The passage opens with one of Jesus' disciples saying to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings, they being outside of the, the temple when he says these things. This disciple, just like probably all of his disciples at this point, just like probably everybody that has been encountering Jesus throughout Mark's gospel's account, thinks that the kind of king Jesus has come to be on earth here is a king that would reside in a building much like the temple, ornate and elaborate, decorative, wonderful, beautiful to look at that Jesus would be the kind of king who would come and occupy a throne in a building of that sort. That kind of temple, that kind of presence of God, that kind of Christ. That's what the people, even his disciples, are expecting Jesus to be like, that kind of king. But he's not. And so Jesus amazingly says to this disciple in response, verse 2, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. That's a shocking statement for Jesus to make to his disciple. I don't think we often recognize that. Jesus is saying this temple, not just any elaborate building that that you think a king would come to occupy, but the temple of the Lord, or at least a, a version of it, a rebuilt version of the temple, this temple is not fit for God's king to occupy. It's it's not because it's not elaborate and ornate enough. It's because it's not the right building. You don't understand what the true temple is. The temple is not a place where money is to be made. Recall back to chapter 11 of Mark, where Jesus goes into the temple and he flips over tables and he says, this place essentially is has become a den of robbers. He's actually citing, he's referring back to Jeremiah chapter 7 there, a text I would encourage you to go read because there's so much, there's so many parallels with Mark 13 and with Jeremiah 7 that it's uncanny. And almost as if background from Jeremiah 7. The question is, what is the temple? And what does it have to do with God's king? Well, the temple is nothing less than God's presence with his people. And God's presence with his people is the king of God's people. See, Jesus is both the king and the temple at the same time. And interestingly, this king and this temple are seated across from the physical temple, verse 3, while this king, this temple of God, is foretelling the destruction of the temple. And he's doing so while on the Mount of Olives. See that in verse 3? Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and he's responding to Peter and James and John and Andrew's questions that they ask him in verse 4. And what's so amazing is that the Mount of Olives is the place where Jesus will shortly hereafter be arrested. The Garden of Gethsemane is a part of the Mount of Olives. And some have speculated that the Mount of Olives is large enough that it also includes the area where Jesus would later be led outside of the city walls to, to be crucified 
that he would be crucified on the cross at Golgotha or uh, Calvary, which is a synonym for Golgotha. They both mean the place of a skull. There, there have been suggestions that that is part of the area known as the Mount of Olives. Certainly, we know at least that the Mount of Olives is the area where Jesus would lastly appear to his disciples before ascending into heaven. Luke chapter 24 tells us that there's a time where Jesus is speaking, the last time that he's speaking to his apostles before he ascends into heaven is in Jerusalem. But then if we look over at Acts chapter 1 verse 12, we see clarification from Luke, who who wrote both Luke and Acts, that that area was known as Olivet, the Mount of Olives. So Jesus' last appearance after having risen from the dead to his disciples, to his apostles, is at the Mount of Olives. It's on the Mount of Olives. And it's there where he ascends into heaven. And it's there where the angel, the angels appear to the men, to the disciples, and say, this Jesus whom you see going up in heaven, he will come back in the same way that you see him going up. So the Mount of Olives is significant for so many reasons, but if nothing else, It has amazing significance in that the temple that is Jesus, who, as John chapter 2 tells us, would be destroyed and in three days be raised. Jesus' body, Jesus is the temple. This temple would be raised from the dead and would be a dwelling place for God, as we read of in 1 Peter chapter 2. We would be living stones. We would be a, a dwelling place for God because Jesus has come to tabernacle with his people, to to temple with his people. And this happens because the temple is going to be destroyed. The, The idea of what it means for God to be with his people, all the corruption in the temple, that will be done away with. And Jesus will be the dwelling place of God with God with his people forevermore. Now, just in closing, I want to mention that We haven't touched on really anything beyond verse 3 in today's passage. Again, I would refer you to Pastor Jason's exposition of Matthew chapter 24, a parallel account. But I do want to say that all that we're reading of in today's text in Mark chapter 13 has its significance in Jesus because the temple is destroyed, because God wasn't content to allow his people to dwell with him in a physical temple where people could corrupt that temple. Jesus is the incorruptible dwelling place of God with his people. We can thank him for that. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we've had to just meditate on a couple of verses in a a difficult passage. Thank you for um, the work that Pastor Jason did to walk through Matthew 24 and that we could see your truth uh, in a more laid out way from, from that work there, from that devotional. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us Mark 13, if nothing else, to help us see that the destruction of the temple is actually for the good of your people. As much terror as it would involve for the disciples and for the apostles and for us now, we know that all of it is leading to a a final dwelling place with the true King who is your presence with us, Lord. Thank you that Jesus is the temple that was destroyed but raised again, Lord, and that we saw proof of that, Lord, on in his appearance to his disciples in Acts 1 on the Mount of Olives, that same area, Lord. 
Thank you so much, Lord, for your grace to us. We pray, Father, that you would bless uh, the rest of our day and the rest of our futures as we go forward as your people, looking forward. Uh, just as the apostles were in the, the time of Mark 13, they were looking forward to the fulfillment of these events that Mark 13 talks about. We are too. And we're looking really only forward to Jesus' return. The temple, the physical temple, was destroyed in 70 AD, O oh Lord. Uh, but And, and the, the, the real, true physical temple was destroyed even before that, Jesus' body, and he died and rose. Uh, But now, Lord, we are waiting for that same Lord, that same dwelling place of God with man to return, where we can be with him forever. We pray that we would look forward to it with unbounded joy, and that we would be the presence of God, even now, in this world, as as your body, O Lord Jesus, here. We pray that we would bring people, just as Jesus waited, and is still waiting to return, we pray that we would... uh, we would be ready for his return uh, with sobriety, with eagerness, and by bringing people in. We pray that would be our prayer and our, our work to bring people into this body, to enable them to meet with you, O oh God, through Jesus uh, now, while there is still time before his return, uh, when, when all the terrors we read of today uh, will be finally meted out on those who, who will not be in the safe bounds of your temple, of your son. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, uh, we had a complicated passage and (laughs) probably a complicated devotional here, but I hope you will have seen uh, from this time that, that Jesus is to be trusted, that he is God's presence with his people, and that when he returns, we get to experience all of what that means in full. Let's look forward to that day with joy. Go well, brothers and sisters. God bless. Mm -hmm.